Hello, beautiful souls. You're listening to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and angel medium, Julie Jancis. As this episode airs, we are in the midst of COVID-19. Friends, this is tough stuff. There is discomfort and frustration for some, loss and grief for others. And while we're not here to minimize anyone's pain, in the midst of all of it, there is also beauty, love, grace, and compassion in the coming together, kind actions, and rebuilding. We can all see so clearly now that what impacts just one person on one side of the world can impact everyone everywhere. We feel oneness and empathy for one another like never before. This is a massive shift, a global awakening. Allow it to shift and awaken you. Know that as you do, we're here for you, to pray with you, to share your stories, to shine some light, and to help in any way we can as you heal. If you'd like to work one-on-one with me, book a distance session, or take the Angel Reiki School online to develop your own unique spiritual gifts. If you want to hear, feel, and connect with your personal angels more clearly, take my online angel communication e-course. Your angels want me to tell you that you're going to be okay. They want you to put together your own spirit team here on earth, a team of people and resources who can help you in every area where you need support. And we hope that you'll make us a part of your earthbound spirit team. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting us be part of your healing journey. Now let's dive into the show. Hello, everyone. Today we are with Rob Schwartz. Rob is an author. He wrote his first book, Your Soul's Plan, Discovering the Real Meaning of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born. It explores the pre-birth planning of physical illness, having a disabled child, deafness, blindness, drug addiction, alcoholism, the death of a loved one, and accidents. His second book, Your Soul's Gift, The Healing Power of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born, explores the pre-birth planning of spiritual awakening, miscarriage, abortion, caregiving, abusive relationships, sexuality, adoption, poverty, mental illness, and so much more. Rob, wow, welcome to the show. Thanks, Julie. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Rob, as I understand it, the way that you wrote your books is that you worked with somebody who is a past life regressionist who went back to the life plan of the people you were maybe interviewing, and you did this for years upon years to really collect all of these stories. Is that correct? Uh, Not exactly. I I actually have uh, several colleagues, not just one. And they're not hypnotists, they're mediums and channels who have different gifts one way or another to find out what somebody planned before they were born and why they made those plans. That's fantastic. I love that. So I want to dive into questions today because as I was reading through your books, there is just so much that I want to ask. I want to start here though. How do you see the role of free will working here in this life? There's a very elegant and somewhat intricate intersection between pre-birth planning and free will. And I think probably the best way I can illustrate this uh, is with a hypothetical story. So let's say that there is a soul 
who I will arbitrarily call Sally. And Sally has had a number of past lives in which she made certain plans before coming into body. But then when she got here, when she came into body, she had a tendency to defer to the wishes of others. She let other people tell her how to live her life. Not an uncommon thing to do. So at the end of those lifetimes, when Sally has her life review, as we all do, she sees that she has this tendency to defer to the wishes of others. And she resolves to bring it back into body energetically, not for the purpose of expressing it, but rather for the purpose of healing it. So that's Sally's pre-birth plan. Now, let's say there's a soul in Sally's soul group, who I will arbitrarily call George, who has the opposite tendency. George has had a number of past lives in which he exercised power over others inappropriately, dominated others, told them how to live their lives. So when George has his life review, he sees that he has that tendency. And like Sally, he decides to bring it back into body energetically, again, not for the purpose of expressing it, but for the purpose of healing it. So that's his life plan. Now, because they're in the same soul group, Sally knows about George's plan. So she goes to him before they're born, and she says something like, hey, George, I'm taking back into body the tendency to defer to the wishes of others for the purpose of healing it. I see that you're bringing back into body the opposite tendency, the tendency to dominate others, also for the purpose of healing it, plan that you and I will marry, say, at the age of 30. And although we know this is likely to be a difficult, turbulent marriage, our hope is that I will learn to stand up for myself and you will learn to respect the wishes of others. And George says, this is a great idea. Let's do it. So that's their plan together. Now, when Sally is in body, let's say she's 25 years old, and she gets a job with an employer who treats her with a lack of kindness, lack of respect, basically runs roughshod over her. And let's say in this hypothetical story that she marshals her internal resources and she takes a stand. She says to her boss, stop. If you want me to keep working here, you must treat me with respect and kindness. In the moment she takes a stand like that, there's a tremendous increase in her vibration. If she can sustain the heightened vibration until she's age 30, now one of two things will happen. Either she and George will never meet because her vibration is so much higher than his by virtue of the law of attraction, they're not drawn together. Or if they do meet, they have one date and nothing comes of it. Again, because their vibrations are so dissimilar, there's no attraction. So in this hypothetical story, Sally has used her free will to learn the plan lesson, which was to stand up for herself. And that in turn obviates the need for the plan challenge, the difficult marriage. So it simply never happens. Now, one of your listeners will say, well, what about George? Does he still have to learn his lessons? Yes, he does. And he will draw to himself multiple opportunities to learn that until he succeeds at learning it. In Sally's case, because she used her free will to learn it on her own, the planned challenge, the marriage, simply never happens. I think that's a fascinating perspective because there's so many times where um, I work with clients who are in relationships and they are struggling to make sense of things and to look at things from this perspective and say, you chose to come here for a reason. You chose um, your opposite in order to teach you this gives us so much more fulfillment to really work through it and grow with that other person. Yeah, you know, it can be a difficult concept to wrap your mind around, especially if you're hearing it for the first time, because people naturally say, well, I would never plan something challenging or something terrible. But you hit the nail on the head when you referred to an opposite, because 
The soul learns best through the experience of opposites. And that's really what we're doing here on the earth plane, I think. Yeah. And that's the way that I see it too, that there, this is really the only physical plane of duality, right? There may be others. I, I really don't know about that, but it is a plane of duality. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and that's true. I, I couldn't say that for sure to what they show me are different places on the other side, but they have told me many, many times that there's so much more um, that I'm only limited to a certain number of, of aspects. And I think that it's easy for me as an individual soul to wrap my head around, okay, you know, like maybe we did plan a challenging marriage or challenge at work or these different challenges. What about mothers who lose children? Because even myself now, I have such a strong physical bodily reaction to this concept because I I do come at it from that point of view where I would say, I would never choose that. I would never choose to lose a child. And and I want to preface this too, Rob, with I've had a lot of women come into my office who have lost children ages 10 and younger. And there have been several instances where the mom will say, this child would talk about death more. And this isn't like seven, eight, nine, this is when they were two, three, four. They would question about death more and they would go into maybe these mood shifts where the mom knew at a very young age that they were questioning this. So I should explain that I'm a hypnotist myself uh, and I specialize in something called a between lives soul regression, which is a way for people to talk with uh, very wise and loving non-physical beings who know what their life plan is and who can tell them why they made those plans, how they're doing in terms of fulfilling the plan, and how they can better fulfill the plan. So in my practice, I've had a number of clients who were uh, mothers or fathers who lost a child at a young age. And I would say that the most common reason that we're given when we ask why did this happen is that the It has to do with the opening of the heart of the mother and the father, learning compassion, learning unconditional love. Uh, It's a tremendously difficult way to do it, but it's also a very powerful and very effective way to do it. And a lot of times the soul of the child will come through in the session and will say, why did you want to have this experience? And they'll say something like, well, I just wanted to touch in on the earth plane because I haven't been there all that much. And I didn't need a whole lot of time to do that. So the intentions of the soul of the child fit in very nicely with the intentions of both of the parents. Interesting. You also have a very different take on the concept of soulmates. And I'd love for you to share that concept because it's so beautiful and I love for our listeners to hear it. Well, to me, a a soulmate is another soul with whom you've had many lifetimes and you've cultivated a great deal of mutual love with this other soul. You've shared many experiences. You've supported each other through many difficult life challenges. Soulmates can be uh, romantic partners, but they aren't necessarily, as I understand it. A romantic relationship is one form that a soulmate relationship can take, but it could be almost anything. It could be a a deep friendship. It could be uh, peers at school or peers at work. It could be a boss and employee relationship. But it's something that is of great significance to both people. And so they're assigning a role to another soul that they know that they can trust 
to play the role very, very well so that they can learn what they intend to learn. Talk to me, too, about the role of our pets in our lifetimes. Is the pet's soul the same equivalent as the human's soul? Are there different levels of souls as you see it? Or do we come through sometimes as animals? My understanding is that there is a fundamental difference between human souls and animal souls, but that it is possible, uh, and it does sometimes happen, that human souls will incarnate as animal souls. And I actually have a very close friend who, uh, in the current lifetime, She's in her early 60s. She's single and has been single most of her lifetime. And her pre-birth plan was not to have any children in this lifetime. So as a, in a past life, as a Native American shaman, there were two other souls that she shared that lifetime with and was very close to. They wanted to share the current lifetime with her, and they wanted to be her children. But because she had this plan not to have children, they had to find some other way to get to her. And so they actually reincarnated as her pets. And they were both dogs in this lifetime. And she has spoken to both of them since they passed on. And they've confirmed that this was, in fact, their plan. And, and the reason they chose it, it was the only way that they could be with her. Now, in my second book, Your Soul's Gift, there's actually an entire chapter about the pre-birth planning we do with our pets. And it's a fascinating story. It's a woman who plans to be a dwarf in the current lifetime. She's only four feet, eight, inch, eight inches tall. And because she knows that other children at school will ostracize her and tease her because of her height, she makes pre-birth plans with many, many different pets because she knows that they will love her unconditionally and support her through that very difficult experience. And they come into her pre-birth planning session and talk with tremendous intelligence and love and affection for her about how they're going to support her unconditionally through this very, very difficult experience. It's quite a story. So do you see that those pets can come back from time to time? Because there is this concept of a walk-in that you can ask this pet to come back into the body of a new pet that you are going to take into your home, care for, and love. But a walk-in, for those who don't understand, you could ask for it to happen let's say at the pet store, you found the pet that you want to bring home and you're asking the soul of uh, a previous pet to walk in to this cat, dog, whichever animal to come home with you. What are your thoughts on that concept? Well, in my uh, work doing between lives regressions, I've had a number of clients who in the session, uh, we're talking to, it's called the Council of Elders. These are the beings who oversee reincarnation on earth. And they will ask the council, did this particular pet come back to me as a current pet? And very often they get confirmation of their intuitive knowing that that has in fact happened. So I've seen that a number of times. Now, I have not seen it done as a walk-in, though. And the explanation you gave of a walk-in is a little bit different than my understanding of it. My understanding is that a walk-in occurs primarily at a time of an accident or uh, an extreme illness. And often it's accompanied by a state of unconsciousness on the part of the person, but their soul, quote-unquote, walks out, and another soul, quote-unquote, walks in. I've not heard of uh, animal souls staging a walk-in. I suppose it's possible, but it's not something I looked at in my work. Uh, but I have seen many, many cases of human souls staging a walk-in, 
And the reason for doing that is that the, the soul that's in the body concludes that they've completed what they came here to do. The walk-in soul has a plan that doesn't require being an infant or a child. And so their attitude is basically, why waste time when I don't need to have that experience? I'll just start off in an adult body. And that's basically the information. That's fascinating to me. So um, there are other people who would say that, and I have seen this in some cases, that some souls come here, well, for all different reasons. Some souls I do see are asked to come to help to lift the vibration. I believe that all souls are asked, at least what I see is that all souls are asked to come here and serve in some way. But it seems like there are some souls who were really tapped on the shoulder who are asked to come have big impact here or to hold a very high vibration for the rest of us. There are some souls who ask to come through to learn lessons. Are there some souls as well who come in to more enjoy? There is something that I refer to as a vacation lifetime. And a vacation lifetime is just what it sounds like. There are no major challenges that are planned. Uh, probably everybody who's going to hear this interview knows at least one person who at least appears to be on a vacation lifetime. Uh, my understanding is that there are a couple of reasons why a soul would plan that. One is they simply have never had a lifetime like that before. Uh, they've only had incarnations with big challenges. And so they want to have the experience of an easier lifetime just to see what it's like. A uh, second major reason for planning a vacation lifetime is as a reward for having done well in a past life. And then I think a, a third reason that, that's also very important is the people who are on the vacation lifetimes are showing us what life can be like. Because if you think about it, if literally every person were suffering tremendously, we would conclude that life is suffering. And I think that would really be an unfortunate and not an accurate conclusion. That makes sense to me. So talk to me when you walk over to the other side. Has your work or have you been inspired at all by the Journey of Souls books? Yeah, I'm certainly familiar with Michael Newton's work. And he's the one who founded the field of life between lives regression. Uh, And he has, I think, four books out. The the two that are best known and that I'm familiar with are Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls. And I would recommend both of those books to anyone who has an interest in life between life regression. For those who may not recognize the name, Newton, as I understand it, was using hypnosis for fairly conventional purposes. This was back in the 1990s. One day he had a client who spontaneously, without any direction from Newton, crossed back over to the other side. And he started to tell Newton in tremendous detail everything about life on the other side, the homes we create for ourselves, the classes we take, the games we play, and so on. Well, Newton realized he was on to a major discovery. He shifted gears professionally And he pioneered the field of what he called LBL, or life between lives regression. I call it between lives soul regression, but it's the same thing. Talk with the council of elders. Ask them literally any question you have about your life. What did you plan? Why did you plan it? How do you fulfill your plan? Why are you in a relationship with this person or that person? They can answer any question. And people come out of those sessions saying things like, I have no more questions about my life. They answered every single one. It's really an incredibly powerful and transformative experience. Absolutely. And uh, when I went through my energy healing program, one of the things that they taught us to do was how to feel into, there's a thing in Chios energy healing, 
where you get to the seventh layer of a person's auric field. And in that layer, you can feel into past lifetimes and see into past lifetimes. You can channel into it that way. And what I find is that there are not a lot of clients, but there are some clients who just want to go into past lives to go into past lives to see what it was like, who they were. And um, what I tell people is that to me, it's almost like opening Pandora's box sometimes, right? I mean, we've gone through so much in so many different lifetimes. Let's not go into past lives in order just to have fun with it all and keep opening up these maybe old wounds, but let's go into it for the purpose of whatever light energy was in those past lives that's attached to this current lifetime, maybe stuff that I've seen in a couple of clients, things that maybe were not completely resolved from past lifetimes that's carrying over. What is your take on this and what do you recommend? Well, in between lives regression, we actually start out with an abbreviated past life regression. The primary reason for doing that is that it's the access point to get the client over to the other side. So in other words, they go through several scenes in the past life. The last scene will, of course, be the death scene. The portion of their consciousness that's having the experience leaves the body in the death scene, crosses back over to the other side. There, they talk briefly with their guide about why they were shown that particular past life. And then their guide takes them to the Council of Elders. But there's another very important function served by the past life portion. And that is, very often, there's some kind of issue in the current lifetime that they want to heal. And if they go back to the past life origin, assuming that there is one, and re-experience it, it has uh, an effect that is known as abreaction, which means there's healing for some reason in the current lifetime. No one really understands how or why every reaction works. We just know that it does. It's a very well-documented phenomenon. So people will often experience partial or sometimes complete healing of the issue in the current lifetime simply by going back and re-experiencing the past life origin. And that really makes the process very valuable. Absolutely. And that's what I see too, is that whenever it is tied to a current lifetime and you're really using it as a healing method to heal and to complete all of your soul's mission, your soul's goals in this lifetime, it is so beyond valuable. Talk to me about linear time because so often when I'm working with my clients, it is hard to explain to other people, but I almost look at like a lined piece of paper where you have a piece of paper, there's all these lines. And I said, what if each line is a past life, right? And maybe there are thousands of past lives, but if you look at it all on one paper, it's all happening at the same time. How do you explain the concept of linear perception here in this life. I've heard you talk about it a little bit before, and you have such a beautiful take. I just want the listeners to hear. Well, to me, uh, linear time is an illusion. It's something that actually doesn't exist, but it appears to us that it exists. And the reason we have that perception is that the human brain is wired. It's designed to perceive linear time. And the inputs to the brain, of course, are from the five senses. When, when those are the only inputs, then it creates the illusion that there is linear time. 
But on the other side, as you know, there is no linear time. Everything is just the eternal now moment. An analogy I like to use to explain this, if you think of a CD that has, let's say, seven songs on it, and each song represents one lifetime. From our perspective, if we're just listening to the CD using the five senses, you can only listen to one song or perceive one lifetime at a time. But the soul has no such limitation. So the soul can listen to all seven songs, quote unquote, at the same time. In other words, perceive all seven lifetimes at the same time. So from the soul's perspective, it's all happening concurrently in the now moment. And so you touched on this a little bit too, then how does the brain function and our biology play into our spirituality? I think by putting a portion of our energy into a physical body and limiting the inputs to the five senses, it has the effect of making the physical world seem very real and also making it seem like that's actually all there is. And so when you believe that the physical world is real, and if you believe that that's all there is, that in turn has the effect of making whatever happens here seem much more serious than it actually is. And because it seems much more serious than it actually is, everybody experiences much more intense emotions in response to whatever is happening. Well, I think a lot of the growth and learning on the earth plane comes through feeling intense emotion, and in particular, learning how to work skillfully with intense emotion. So in other words, if you could see through the illusion, and if you remembered your pre-birth plan, you would have no questions about your life. You would be acutely aware that life is nothing more than a play on a stage. And because you had that awareness, it would diffuse the intensity of the emotions you feel, which would in the long run decrease the amount of learning that you could do here. So I see that too, with that mindset and that knowing of real truth on the other side. Um, and what we're really here to do, knowing that we're not here to accumulate all of this wealth or material things, we let go, we release, we surrender. I'm wondering too, walk me through, what is it like for you when you go to the other side? Who, when you're talking to the council, the council is different for, there are different councils for different human beings, correct? That's correct. And so when you see the council, who is there? Are, is it always the same number of beings on the council or are there different numbers of beings for some people? Well, first I, I want to make clear, uh, I myself am not going over to the other side. The client is doing that. And I'm the one who's facilitating a process that makes that possible. Now, when the clients go over to the other side and talk to the council, they will report a, a tremendous variability in who makes up the council. Sometimes it's just a handful of beings. Sometimes it's a very large number of beings. Sometimes it uh, consists partly of people who were known to them in this lifetime. In other words, they don't see noid form. They just see beings in the shape of light. And they, they don't identify that they've known these beings before. But what they will say almost 100% of the time is when they get in front of the council, uh, they notice two things right away. One is this feeling of overwhelming, pure, unconditional love that the council is radiating toward them. And the other is a sense of total non-judgment. So they'll come out of the session, and the, one of the comments I hear most frequently is, 
I could tell that the council knew literally everything about me, including all the bad things I've done in my life. And yet they loved me completely and they had absolutely no judgment of me. And, you know, for most people, that's the first time in a, an incarnation in this lifetime, which they've had that experience. And so it, it's like a true homecoming for them. It's incredibly powerful and healing. And that's so fascinating, too, about the life reviews that we go through on the other side, because humans seem to have this concept that we're judged when we get to the other side. But as I see it, when we go through the life review, it's more of this simulation that they show me where we are in somebody else's body that we hurt and it's nobody else judging us. It's us judging ourselves from us feeling our own actions through other people. Yeah, that, that is exactly my understanding as well. Uh, I do want to point out, we're not only shown scenes of when we hurt other people, we're also shown scenes of when we were kind and loving and compassionate to other people. And we also feel how they felt when we were loving toward them. Uh, but yes, the judgment, if there is any, comes only from you as you see how your actions impacted other people. And a large part of the role that your guides play during the life review is to support you when you are judging yourself, because otherwise the life review could be overwhelming for a number of people. But there is no judgment from the guides. There's no judgment from God or some being or counsel external to the person. It's only you judging yourself, if there's any judgment at all. So when you've been working with clients and this feedback from the other side comes through, there are some clients who get themselves stuck in this egoic thought system, right? And it's very hard for them to get out of sometimes the mental spin or the mental thought that they're in. What feedback have you heard come through from the other side that pulls people out of addiction or just different fear concepts that are really holding them back from really fulfilling their soul's purpose in this lifetime? Well, a very, very common comment that the council will make to a person is uh, that they need to get more into their heart or they need to open their heart more. And then we'll talk about, well, how do you actually do that? And the specifics vary from person to person, depending upon what they came here to learn, what sort of gifts they have, what kind of service they plan to offer to other people. But what I see is that the human race in general is in the process of moving from being very mentally oriented to being much more in our hearts, uh, being much more feeling-based. I think we've got a long way to go, but I think we've also come a long way. And the between lives regressions are a big part of making that transition. Because when you feel that sort of overwhelming, unconditional love from the council, it gives you something to shoot for. It's something to model yourself after. And it's very inspiring. Absolutely, it is. What about in this lifetime, there is a collective consciousness where we do go through all things together. As I was praying on this interview and just asking Spirit to bring through questions, one of the questions that they asked me to ask was about this collective consciousness. Can there be a collective plan on the other side for all of us to experience? 
uh, one thing at the same time. And what kept coming to mind was, uh, was it 2004 or 2005, the big tsunami that went through and the shock and awe of all of it, but how many people really experienced that all together? Well, I, it's interesting you mentioned the tsunami because I, even though that's not in my books, I've actually asked Spirit about that in the channeling sessions we did for the books. And what I was told about the tsunami, and again, about 100,000 people died in that uh, tragedy. What Spirit shared with me is that the 100,000 or so souls got together before any of them came into body. And they said, basically, we would like the earth to be at a certain vibration, a certain frequency by a certain point in linear time. And if it looks as though the earth's not going to get there, then we agree to give our lives in a large scale natural disaster because we know that the, out, the result of that disaster will be a worldwide outpouring of love and compassion. It will raise the frequency of the whole planet. Well, that is, in fact, exactly what happened. You might remember all the governments of the world temporarily put aside their differences to funnel aid into Southeast Asia. That outpouring of love and compassion elevated the frequency of the whole planet. And so the tsunami actually accomplished exactly what those 100,000 or so souls wanted it to do. So on a human level, it looks like a terrible tragedy. And of course it is from that perspective, but from the other side, it looks like a great blessing to the world. And from that perspective, it truly is. That's fascinating because as you were saying that, what they were showing me was that it has a ripple effect, right? Grief has this ripple effect where it does open up the hearts of others. Sometimes if we didn't even know a person who was who had passed from that tragedy, what they were showing me as you were talking is that it opened up the hearts of billions of people and and created a ripple effect that impacted other actions in the future. Yeah, as you know, we're all one. And so what one person experiences or does has an impact on the collective. It just radiates out infinitely. And uh, as you just mentioned, the tsunami is something that helped a lot of people to open their hearts. Uh, it's, a, it's a very difficult way to open one's heart, a very painful way. But it's also quite powerful. And people say, well, you know, why does it have to be done in such a painful way? And I can't believe that I would sign up for experiences that are this difficult. I think your listeners have to keep in mind that when you're on the other side and you're planning some of these really big challenges, your perspective is very different than it is when you're here in body. One of the main differences is that a lifetime actually looks very short from the other side. And when you're here, and particularly if you're suffering, it might seem interminable, but when you're doing the planning, you know it's actually very brief. A second key difference is that you know from the other side that nobody is permanently harmed by anything that happens here. And a third important difference is that you know when you're doing your planning that the wisdom that will come out of the suffering will become part of you literally for all eternity. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, that life is very brief, nobody is permanently harmed, and yet the wisdom becomes part of you for all eternity. From that perspective, it actually does make sense that souls would plan very big challenges. Have you gotten a reading on or like feeling on when you've been doing your sessions or working with other people doing theirs, what it's like 
to be a soul on the other side and have all of this knowledge of all of these lifetimes? Is there any way to describe what that's actually like? I I don't think there is. I I think language is very limited and the expense of being on the other side is so fundamentally and qualitatively different than our experience when we're in body and limited to the five senses. I don't think there are any words that adequately capture it. But there, there is a, one book that I often recommend to clients that I think does a better job than just about anything I've ever seen called Testimony of Light by an English woman named Helen Greaves. Helen had a friend who died, and when the friend got to the other side, she started talking to Helen and describing in, in quite a bit of detail what life on the other side is like. That book has perhaps the best description I've ever seen, and it, it really conveys how this is a, the other side is a realm of incredible joy, love, peace. Your vision is 360 degrees. Thought is telepathic. There are no secrets. Everything is completely transparent and out in the open because you can see it in everybody else's energy field. And so you don't have people plotting and planning, you know, the way that they do here in order to maintain secrets. It's just a fundamentally different kind of existence. You have another interesting perspective on suicide. There are mothers that I've worked with, fathers that I've worked with, and it's not just one person. I've seen this over and over again where a family will get to a point and they'll say, Julie, I've just had to release the guilt. We have done everything that we can. We have taken them to every best specialist. And this person in our lives is just so depressed. And I have had to prepare myself for the fact that they might not be with us one day. I, I believe that the view that you have on, on suicide can be very healing to a lot of people listening. Uh, there's an entire chapter about the pre-birth planning of suicide in my second book, Your Soul's Gift. And uh, in that chapter, uh, the person that I'm talking with and, and sharing the story of Uh, is a woman who who lost her only child, a son, uh, whose name is Cameron. He hung himself from a rafter in their home uh, shortly after he graduated from high school. So this was at a time when he was supposed to go out into the world and start doing great and exciting things. And one day, his mother, Carolyn, came home and found him there. And she actually went ahead and cut the rope and bring the body down. Uh, She and I did a channeling session with Jesus, Bruce Kemmler Bay, who's a channel in the Netherlands. And what he shared with us is that uh, suicide is not planned ever as a certainty prior to birth, but he says that it is planned as a possibility, sometimes a probability, and rarely a probability so high as to be almost certain. And then he says that was the case with Cameron. He was bringing back into body unhealed energies and he was doing this to such an extent that he knew suicide was going to be highly likely. So his mother, Carolyn, knew that this was his pre-birth plan, and she was willing to take the risk that a suicide might happen because she felt that if it did happen, she would work with it to foster her own growth. Now, the really healing piece of information that comes out in the channeling session, and I want to give the page number so people who can actually look this up, pages 410 to 411 of Your Soul's Hip. One of the things Jesus explains to us is that every suicide that could have been prevented was, in fact, prevented. And what he means by that is 
if a suicidal person has the slightest openness or willingness to change their mind, spirit knows that. And so spirit stages an intervention, which could be almost anything. I mean, sometimes intervention is something simple like a bird flies by, distracts the person, and then they don't go through with them. Sometimes it's something quite dramatic, like an angel assumes human form and actually talks the person out of it. But the point being that if there's any openness to change their mind, spirit knows and spirit stages an intervention. So for any of your uh, audience who have lost someone to suicide, the important thing to understand is there was literally nothing you could have done to prevent the suicide. Because again, if there had been an openness or willingness to change their mind, spirit would have known and spirit would have staged the intervention. There's a lot more to this that I don't have time to explain here. But if your audience goes to those two pages in the book, they can read all about this. I think it's probably the single most healing piece of information I've come across in all the years I've been doing this kind of work. Yeah, I know. When I heard you say that the first time, I felt like, wow, that is so incredibly hearing to just hear that Jesus says that if a soul could have been saved, they would have. That if there was any possible way. So I'm just so glad. Thank you for being on the show for that one point. I I love getting that message across. Talk to our uh, listeners about soul groups and how they play a part in our life planning. So soul, as I understand it, is a collection of souls when uh, you are at more or less the same evolutionary stage, which is another way of saying you're at the same frequency or the same vibration. So you and the other members of your soul group will have many, many incarnations with each other in which you take turns playing every conceivable role for and with each other. So you will be mother and daughter, father and son, brother and sister, uh, romantic partners, best friends, enemies, uh, perhaps even murderer and the one who is murdered. And there's no judgment about any of these roles at the soul level. They're all viewed as opportunities for learning and growth and healing. Uh, And there's a tremendous amount of love between all the members of a soul group. And there's also a tremendous amount of trust because you've played so many roles for each other in past lives already. You know that you can count on these other souls to play whatever roles you're asking them to play in the upcoming lifetime. And so it's really just a magnificent system for fostering growth and creating every conceivable kind of experience that anybody could want to have. Absolutely. You write in your soul's plan, lives sometimes labeled failures from the viewpoint of the personality are often unqualified successes from the viewpoint of the soul. Talk to us a little bit more about that, because that's a real big aha moment for a lot of listeners. Well, there are many people who have fallen into certain categories of experience that we as a society judge. Uh, This would be people who experience things like alcoholism, drug addiction, certain illnesses like AIDS, experiences like homelessness. And what are the judgments? You know, we say that people who have these experiences are losers. They need to get their act together. They need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And yes, from a purely third dimensional perspective, if you look at some of the experiences that people are having in those categories, it does look as though they have, quote unquote, failed from a human perspective. But what I have seen in my work 
is that the souls who are planning these kinds of challenges are very, very tremendous, uh, tremendously courageous souls, and they're taking on challenges that most of us wouldn't take on. And they're doing this in part in service to us. They're coming in as teachers to us. For example, the first story in Your Soul's Plan is about a man who plans to have the AIDS virus. He does this because he's coming in to teach compassion. And he's giving people an opportunity to put judgment aside and build compassion in their hearts. So we as a society would look at him and say, you know, you contracted AIDS. How could you allow that to happen? What a foolish thing to do. Look how you've harmed yourself again and again with the judgments. But in his pre-birth planning session, he talks in great detail about how he's going to help people by taking on this experience. And he's talking to the soul who's going to give him the AIDS virus. And they're talking about how much they love humanity, how much they want to be of service, and that this is the particular form of service that they have chosen. So we would judge them. And yet it's a tremendous success from the spiritual level in terms of what they actually plan to do. Thank you for that. You know, I understand you have an interesting story about Edgar Casey and something he told uh, two clients about their pre-birth plan. Would you share that story? Sure. Uh, for those of your audience who may not know the name, Edgar Casey, probably the greatest American psychic who ever lived. And late in his career, after he had done sessions for thousands and thousands of people, uh, he had two clients come to him, uh, women, sisters from New York City, from a very wealthy family in New York City. And the sisters said to him, Mr. Casey, we're at the end of our rope in regard to our brother. He lives under a bridge in New York. He drinks too much. Uh, he long ago squandered his share of the family fortune. Over the years, we've tried everything we can think of to help him turn his life around and nothing has worked. Can you tell us anything that will help us help our brother? Casey did what he always did, which is he went into trance, he went into the Akashic Record, and he said to the two sisters, your brother is the single most highly evolved soul about whom I have ever obtained information. And the three of you planned together before any of you were born for him to do exactly what he's been doing so that the two of you could learn to be more compassionate. Well, that was not exactly the response the sisters were hoping for, but this is how it works. But again, because we as a society don't understand that this is how it works, we have all these very harsh judgments, people like the brother. And yet here's Casey saying, this is the most highly evolved soul I've ever learned about. And he's doing what he's doing in service to the two of you so that you can become more compassionate people. What's actually going on in the earth plane is sometimes completely different than what it appears to be on the surface. And the way you get at the true meaning is to understand what the pre-birth plan is. Fantastic. I love that. And I totally believe that is truth. Robert, how do people order your books? They're on Amazon? They're on Amazon. Uh, they can also go to yoursoulsplan.com and order the books in the store there. And if anyone is interested in doing a between lives regression, uh, just click on schedule a session in the main menu. And there's a lot of information on that page, including a video footage of me doing a between lives regression with a previous client so they can see exactly what's involved in that. Fantastic. And what is your final message that you want to leave our listeners with today? The, the message I would leave them with is to say that, as I understand it, 
Uh, Earth is literally the most difficult planet in our universe on which to have an incarnation. And after you've had a lifetime on Earth, it becomes part of uh, what is called your energy signature. Your energy signature consists of a combination of your unique color and your unique sound. That's how you're identified. So when this lifetime is over, as people are traveling around the universe doing whatever it is they choose to do, other beings see in their energy signature that they were on Earth. And their response, as I understand it, is something along the lines of, you unto Earth? Oh, and they're tremendously, tremendously impressed because everybody knows this is the toughest place in the universe to have an incarnation. The fact that for a body on planet Earth automatically makes you among the most courageous souls in the universe. Thank you so, so much, Robert, for being on the show. I so appreciate your time and you being here. Well, thank you, Julie. It was a pleasure talking. You asked great questions. And I want to thank you for having the show because I think your show is a wonderful form of service to the world and very much needed. Oh, thank you so much, Robert. I hope you have a very blessed day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Friends, if you'd like to hear from your angels and loved ones on the other side, book a one-on-one session via phone, FaceTime, or Zoom. You can also work with me one-on-one when you register to take the Angel Reiki School online to develop and use your own unique spiritual gifts. If you're just looking to be able to connect with your own personal angels, the Angel Communication online course will teach you how to hear, feel, and connect with your personal angels more clearly. Friends, if you get benefit from this podcast, please subscribe, rate us five stars, and ask a friend to listen. Don't forget to look in the show notes to see the winner of this month's free drawing. You're entered into the drawing when you write a five-star positive review and email it over to us so that we know how to contact you when you win. Now, if you have time, I want you to pause and do some energy work with me for a moment to lighten, clear, and reset your own energy. To start, I want you to take two deep breaths. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Friends, as I walk you through this, I want you to use your imagination as an energy tool. Friends, your imagination isn't something that's not real. Your imagination is what every human being uses to create physical reality. How does a painter know what to paint? How does a sculptor know what to sculpt? How does a writer know what to write? They see it all within their mind, within the imagination, before it flows through them and is created within physical reality. Friends, I want you to start by seeing yourself surrounded by thousands of angels. These are all angels that work directly for God and they circle around you. They have this light, airy, warm, yummy presence to them. And my friends, they are simply pure love and they radiate their love from their being to yours. I want you to take a moment to just breathe deeply in and out as you see and feel the presence.
presence of all of these angels surrounding you, sending their love and light energy to you. Friends, next, I want you to see yourself surrounded by your loved ones on the other side. Your angels haven't gone anywhere, they're still right there, but now steps in your loved ones on the other side. Greet them, welcome them, take a moment within your imagination to give them the biggest hug and kiss. Friends, as we do this healing work together, I want you to see that every single being that is surrounding you is just surrounding you because they are connected to God and they want to help you as a soul here on earth to lift your energy, to make it lighter, to take any heaviness out of your aura, chakras, and body. In order for them to help you with this, what I want you to do is voice to them. See yourself in your imagination telling your angels, your loved ones on the other side, God energy of course is there too. Tell them what you are afraid of. I want you to be specific and explain your fears to them now. Now, friends, I want you to see your loved ones and angels on the other side comforting you, holding you, wiping away your tears. I want you to see them telling you that you're going to be okay. Your family is going to be okay. I want you to see them showing you in their way from the other side that they are there helping you every step of the way and that they will never, ever leave your side. Friends, I want you to see or feel God energy, this pure, white, radiant light pouring down from above over you. 
And as you feel this pure love and light, this gentle waterfall just pouring over your head, filling your body, filling your auric field to the outside of you, filling every inch of your being around you. I want you to feel that as this light energy comes in, the highest vibration that is as it gently pours into your being, I want you to feel how all the heaviness within you just releases. With the snap of your finger, God takes every ounce of heavy, low vibrational energy within you. And with that snap of the finger, God turns all of it into the highest vibration, love, light energy. Friends, I want you to imagine within your imagination your DNA strand. Now the way that Spirit shows me the DNA and what it looks like is if you could imagine that double helix and that within that double helix are millions or billions of doors and windows. And those doors and windows open and close. And as they do, some serve your highest health and good some do not. What I want you to do is say this prayer with me. My friends, this energy work does not have to take a lot of time. You're going to hear me say, use the snap of your fingers because within that snap of the fingers, your intention shifts the energy within your body. So you can say it, but please believe it. Know like you know like you know within your heart that you are changing the energy, the frequency within you to be pure, complete health. So say this little prayer with me now. God, please close all the doors and windows to my DNA that don't serve my highest health. With a snap of your fingers, see those doors and windows close. And God, please open all the doors and windows to my DNA that do serve my highest health. See those doors and windows open with a snap of your fingers. What I want you to do now is see yourself healthier than ever come September of this year. Daydream, visualize about what that health looks like and feels like to you within your body come September of this year. Take a moment to do this work right now and I'll come back to you with my voice in one minute. Friends, I want you to believe like you believe like you believe that you, your family, your friends, you are protected. You are safe. You are secure. 
Your angels are looking out for you. God is looking out for you. Your loved ones are looking out for you. See yourself as healthier than ever come September of this year. Now I want you to pray with me for a moment for everyone else. God, please protect our nurses, doctors, and all healthcare professionals around the world. God, may you give each of them strength and protect them. God, please also protect all people who work in grocery stores, food service, or delivery. God, may you give each of them the strength and protection that they need. For all people who are suffering from COVID-19 themselves, God, may you take care of them and heal all who are able to be healed. Surround them with your divine protection. Surround them with angels and help every cell within their body to become completely 100% healthy again. God, for every person who has lost a job or had their income reduced, please clearly show them the path to healing, safety, security. Whisper to them in their hearts the direction that you would have them go. God, for every child on this planet, please help them to receive the attention love, nurturing, and care that they so desperately need. God, please surround them with angels and allow them to feel the divine presence of your love and warmth. For those filled with hatred, God, we ask you to transmute that hate within their hearts into love energy, and we ask you to open up their hearts to make shifts and positive changes to help them raise their vibration. And everyone who is helping with the COVID-19 effort or response in some way, God, please be with each person who needs your strength. Clearly guide them and protect them with whatever they need at this time. Friends, finally, I want you to visualize Thanksgiving of this year. I want you to take a moment of silence to experience this daydream within your mind. See every single family member and friend and loved one there at the dinner table. See them happy, healthy. Feel the gratitude of this Thanksgiving beyond any other Thanksgiving in the past. Gratitude for being all together. Gratitude for all being healthy. Gratitude for the lessons learned. Gratitude for the relationships that grew deeper and the love that is between you all. Again, my friends, see your spirit team on the other side telling you that you are going to be okay. See them helping you. My friends, God loves you. Your spirit team loves you. I love you. Open up your heart like French doors to all of the unexpected blessings that they're trying to bring into your life right now. May you go forth with your day feeling lighter, and living in the high vibration that is God. Go forth in your day, surrounded by angels and your spirit team on the other side protecting you. Allow yourself to just be. Allow yourself to live in the high vibrational frequency that is God and carry it with you throughout your day. Friends, I have to have a disclaimer at the end. This podcast is to educate, inspire, and entertain you on your personal journey towards health and happiness. It is not intended to replace care best provided by qualified professionals, and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.